Hello everybody, this is Chris. We'll be getting into episode 183 of The Great and Crowbar very shortly, which we recorded last week live at Res, the first time we've ever done a, a podcast in front of a room full of, of real people. Terrifying. I was joined by Graham and Pip for the show. I wanted to introduce that and also partly to apologize in advance for some of the audio issues with this recording. The nature of a live show means it's not quite the same quality we would normally go for for a podcast. And also there are some specific moments where the microphones cut out which can be a little bit annoying, but hopefully you'll bear with us. Also, towards the end of the show, Graham's microphone dies and he has to share with Pip. It's an adventure in things going slightly, but not fatally, wrong. Also, towards the end of the show, an hour from now, so this explanation is somewhat premature, you'll hear me ask Graham if he's played a game called... What I'm trying to say is FIFA The Journey. I figured you'd be wondering about that, so I thought I'd let you know in advance. Anyway... Before we get into the show, I just wanted to say that because of the audio recording difficulties and the fact that there's a shorter pod than usual, uh, we won't be charging Patreon backers for this episode. But we are immensely grateful to all of our Patreon backers who allow us to do the show and the spin-offs every other week that we are doing this. So if you'd like to find out more about our Patreon, you can do so at uh, patreon.com forward slash create and crowbar. That's the only plug I'll do. See you at the end of the episode for the sign off. But for now, enjoy live create and crowbar. Sing the theme tune. Yeah. <laughs> no, it isn't. Go isn't on. The part where you sing the theme tune. Oh no, because we've done that before and I did it all wrong. Did I include <laughs> that in the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 183 of the Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston, and tonight I am joined by Philippa War. Hello. And Graham Smith. Hello. Both of RockPaperShotgun.com. If you're unaware, I'm unemployed. Uh, thank you so much for coming. This is obviously uh, tremendously strange uh, for everyone, um, mostly me. And so, um, but thank you for joining us as we do the first ever podcast we've done live after more than 180 of doing these in the oh, privacy I've of our own a home. Live podcast. Sure. But, um, okay. <laughs> for someone else. So, what we're going to do is basically do the podcast that we would normally do. If you're not aware, that's a uh, informal chat about PC games with this and water, if you're Graham. Um, I could actually use this recap because I haven't done this in like a year and a oh half. Oh, yeah. Also, welcome back, Graham. Hello. Mm. Remember me? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Returned from his tax haven to grace us on stage. So we're going to do the podcast, what we would normally do. We're going to talk about what we've been playing. And then we are going to do questions from you rather than from the internet. Um, which means we won't know what they are in advance. But I say that now because it would be a good idea to start thinking of questions you might ask if you haven't already. And also because I need to say this again, thank you so much for coming. I had no idea if we would be just doing what we normally did, but in a bigger, emptier room. <laughs> um, and the fact that we are actually talking to, to real people is... Um, the reason I've rotated my chair slightly this way. <laughs> I mean, you are actually here for the live podcast, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you're not so just, actually, also, as a public service announcement, the Warhammer announcement is taking place <laughs> over there. Uh, we may well get an influx of people in about half an hour when they've finished announcing whatever it is they announce, and I wouldn't actually be surprised if that included Tom Senior. It won't, because he's not here, but nonetheless. Um, so, to kick off, we'll skip news, because we're on the clock. Mm. Pip. Hello. What have you been playing? Oh God! Should you know how this works. This? Yes. Um, so I have I have been playing a bunch of things. I oh Meg Aquarium. 
so excited. Um, it's essentially a, uh, a theme park management game, but with fish. And you build little tanks and you populate them with fish and you get to augment them with little decorative rocks and pirate chests and little like algae things and filters to keep the water clean and you can watch your fish grow. <laughs> and I stuck around and I made the developer do all of the cheats in the thing so that we could quickly basically level up this um, rainbow-coloured grouper fish because I just wanted to see it get bigger. And he was called Flash and he was my favourite. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you do? In this game, you build an aquarium right. okay. that's fun to visit. <laughs> how, how do you, how does the game judge whether an aquarium is fun to visit? Well, I was asking about this because they're still quite early on. They've only just announced that the thing even exists, so I rather unfairly went over and told them everything I like about fish <laughs> and about my. <laughs> Are you a designer on this game now? You're a consul- I might be consultant. A consultant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was explaining everything that I liked about my visit to the Bristol Aquarium and <laughs> things about seahorses. <laughs> and stuff I've learned about jellyfish and I think they answered a few things and then I, I got out my phone and showed them my tap tap fish aquarium <laughs> and talked about sea dragons and I'm so sure that he answered some of this but I was in full full flow <laughs> um, but yeah so I think there's going to be a certain amount of just is there variety? Is there, like, um, have you maintained the cleanliness of the aquariums? Have you, mm. are the fish happy? You know, things like that that are going to inform the basics of that. But um, they were also talking about potentially having um, breeding for different traits in fish and, like, little, um, the ability to crossbreed and get different colors and different, you know, sort of... Uh, mottling and things like that I was yeah properly geeking out but so that's really fun and it's in it's in the corner bit of the room that has the big inflatable green tentacles if that helps it's in the room that has giant cop in it is that correct I literally just saw the yeah, fish. I, I have no idea it what is else is in the room, room that has giant cop in it. I went and saw it earlier. You can also use like the Rezd app, or the EGX app, to yeah. find it, to type the name of the game in. You're really on brand. I know. This I is feel, useful. I feel, this is what I've been doing this past year and a half. Has anything else um, jumped out of you? Jumped out at you from the show, Pip? Has anyone um, jumped at you, out at you at the show? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I've been really enjoying playing the uh, build of Snake Pass that's here just because I really love the movement system that mm. they've built. And it works so well. And you just you play as a snake that is slithering around collecting things in that 3D platformer, bright and breezy way that maybe reminds most people of N64 games. Looks like a rare game. Yeah, basically. And so I, but the real thing about that is that you, you move forward, but by wiggling the analog stick from side to side to go faster so that you are actually following a kind of snaky kind of trajectory, I guess. And, but the actual, the animal has such a kind of pleasing heft to it and it's accompanied by a hummingbird. And so Mm. like, it's basically ticking all of the boxes. And then I cornered the developer and asked his favorite snake facts and things. It's ticking all of the boxes. Does it have fish in it? Well, no, but that's why you get Mega Query. <laughs> oh, okay. so you together. just shuttle between the two things, really. Mm. <laughs> I mean, what do you want from me? I want to be at the zoo. <laughs> you could just, oh, you an accident. Could just buy a snake and buy an aquarium and have them in your house. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could. Yeah. All right. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, well that's settled. Okay, anyway, cool. so what are you um, guys going to do? <laughs> so, yeah, Graham, you've, so you can, obviously you can talk about what you've seen at the show so far, mm. but you've been off the podcast for 18 months yeah. almost. So yeah. what have you been doing? I've been, I've been raising a, a new podcaster who'll <laughs> <laughs> be ready in about 17 years, I guess. Yes. Thereabouts. It's his birthday nice. today, isn't it? It is. He's one years old. Aww. Aww. One year Aww. old. Thanks to the person it. who almost clapped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I spoke to my partner, his mum, earlier, and uh, uh, he accidentally set off a panic alarm in the flat that we're staying in, which was good. Like a panic room or like... No, not a panic room, just a panic alarm that, you know, sounds sirens and causes lights to flash and, and alerts the concierge downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then eventually the police, although apparently it was uh, it was headed off before it got that far. <laughs> so yeah, babies, huh? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but video games. Yeah, uh, I might be a bit rusty at this because I haven't... It's not just that I have. In yeah, I have, no, you, 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 you just. <laughs> but uh, I don't talk to a lot of people on Jersey about video games or at all. I Skype in every, ca- every yeah, now and occasionally, again. Occasionally, <laughs> but then we don't talk about games either. Oh God, no! We talk about Gilmore Girls. <laughs> we do talk about Gilmore Girls. And Let's America's do a Gilmore Girls model. podcast, Chris. <laughs> One thing at a time, Graham. There are people here. We've got company. Yeah. <laughs> what have you played? What have you played at rest? What have you played? Well, I, I won't tell you right away about a game I played. I'll tell you about a game I saw, which was uh, Sigma Theory, hmm. which is from the developers of Out There, that kind of cool interactive fictiony FTL style game where you're traveling through a galaxy making decisions on your spaceship as you go along. And this is a, their follow-up to that, but it is about spies, and spies are better than spaceships. Um, so you get... They are... They are. <laughs> we'll come back to that. It's a, it's a, it's a world You've identified map. the exact middle point between me and Tom Francis. <laughs> it's, a, it's a world map, and you choose a country to control, and you become basically the director of that country's spy agency, whether that be CIA or MI5. And then the backstory is that... Uh, a new technological discovery has been made. People have discovered this thing called Sigma, which is going to speed up tech research of all kinds. And so you are sending spies around the world trying to get scientists to come work for your side so that you can research Sigma faster than any of the other countries. Um, and like out there, every action you're doing uh, has a kind of interactive fiction element to it. So the spies that you've got have traits, um, and you can send them off to do things, and you can tell them, hey go kidnap that person and they might have a trait that says that they don't like to do that and based on the conversation you have with them they might refuse your order they might defect that sort of stuff um but ultimately you're you're sending them off into other countries to research to find weapons that sort of stuff and eventually find these scientists and then you you tell the scientists and you find out information about them and they too have traits so um because then you want to coerce the scientists to come to your side, which you can do either by kidnapping them, corrupting them, uh, or seducing them. And so, you know, you might find that a person has a, a, a trait that they're particularly lusty or whatever, and that means that the seduction trait will work better and that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, the scientists will have that trait. Or the scientists, okay. sorry. Oh, wow. Um, and, then, and then when you, when you uh, 
decide to exfiltrate a scientist, however you've decided to do that, it kind of zooms into like a, a, a turn-based view of a city where you're then directing your agent through the city as they're pursued by police forces, um, trying to get the scientist out of the city using whatever means you've decided. Hmm. Um, and that's similarly like a set of interactive fiction decisions that you're making. And again, the, the spy might um, decide to ignore you. And depending on how that goes, you might succeed and get the scientist or you might fail and your agent might end up dead or they might end up arrested. And mm. in that situation, you can then uh, uh, talk to the diplomats of that country and like negotiate them for the spy's release and maybe trade them some of the technology that you've discovered elsewhere. And so, and then diplomats from different countries will have different desires. So again, they've got traits. And then the fourth group of people that you're essentially negotiating with in this game is lobbyists. Uh, each country has its own set of lobbyists that will lobby for you to pursue development in their uh, desired technology tree. Um, and you can then trade with them and that sort of stuff. So, like, if you if you uh, do a bunch of research on AI and then trade that with the AI lobbyists, they will help you with equipment in different countries. And so it's it's like a multi-layered strategy game, and every part of it is feeding back into the grander strategy of it and that sort of stuff. And it's um, the interactive fiction stuff really appeals to me. I like strategy mm. games where it's not just about numbers, but it's much more about conversations you're having with people. It is about numbers, ultimately, everything is. But they, they disguise that stuff with words. So is it, it sounds a little bit like invisible ink in structure. A little that... bit in structure, yeah, mm. but in, in terms of format, it's much less like you're not directing individual little men around a, a map in an XCOM kind of way. Like the, even the city view, it's quite zoomed out. It's just an icon with a kind of Google Map style view of a, right. a quite large area of a city. Uh, and at each corner, corner junction, basically, as you're making your way through the city, you make a decision from like an interactive fiction kind of branching narrative thing. Right, you don't, you know, agree to take the horny scientist that you're extracting from McDonald's on the way out? Or... Well, that might be one of the options, but you don't individually click on the McDonald's to send them there. I understand. <laughs> cool, so how far along is this? Because I know it's been, has it been in development for a while? I don't know. I thought it had only been announced last year, which doesn't feel like a while to me, but it's it's not due for release until probably next year, unless they decide to do early access, in which case it might be at the very end of this year. So they're here with something else, or are they... They're here with that, and also with another game, which isn't coming to PC, and uh, the name of which I did not therefore commit to memory. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Graham. <laughs> I'm very on brand. <laughs> That's very strongly on brand. So what else have you been playing while you're here because that's something you've seen right but it's still at a very early stage yeah it's it's far enough along that you could play it but i did not uh, I, I also played a game called moonlighter which looks really nice it's and, and i mean that in terms of it just looks really nice it's beautiful pixel art and it's a kind of top-down zelda-ish game do you remember reciteer an item shop yes. tale where you're like running a, a fantasy store selling goods to fantasy adventurers that are going around this you're similarly selling a store selling adventuring goods to adventurers but you yourself are also an adventurer you can go off to kind of binding of isaac style procedural dungeons fight your way through them for against various monsters who drop loot and unlock chests and the equipment that you find you then take back to your shop to sell to the other people in this town um, and it's it feels like a game i've played before but it just looks so goddamn pretty basically mm. it's all uh, grass blowing in the wind and it's zelda it's zelda <laughs> it's zelda <laughs> It's it's really interesting, like seeing how well 
integrated into this show now, all that in all the indie stuff is, right? Mm. We were talking about this earlier, so it's not a totally fresh take, I'm afraid. But there's a sense that like walking around this is my first rest as well, but walking around here you see indie stuff everywhere and, and smaller games alongside bigger games. And I don't know what that speaks to necessarily, but it's a really interesting shift to absorb to have observed in how these how these events feel compared to something like EGX was five years ago or something like that. Don't know if that's I think it's always been the goal of Res to incorporate indie stuff and it does feel like indie is just growing every year, just as it is across the whole industry. Mm. Um, and I think Tobacco Dock is a, is a, is a, is a is sound like marketing for this for this event. Um, <laughs> They're already here, Graham. <laughs> Tobacco can Dock's can- my favourite venue because you yeah. get natural light. Mm. Yeah, I can I, I can cancel out the, the marketing talk by saying that I was here when it was at the NEC three or four years ago and it sucked. <laughs> it was awful. Do not go to the NEC. It yeah, is not the no nice place. John's going to cut the stream. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I don't know. I because I really uh, everything that's in the RPS room is indie, actually, isn't mm. it? Like we haven't got any sort of massive games down there but it's it's all stuff that is super exciting and really like is getting people interested and that they want to play and also it's quite nice because we're offering like a another station for that to be so for example it's stuff like um everything which is the david o'reilly game where you can be everything from like a universe to a pollen grain and you know you can then herd and I, I led a herd of buildings into a swamp and then changed into a turtle um which was awesome but it's that game is at a few different points hang around. on <laughs> can you back up a little bit yeah because, so this so, <laughs> which part was unclear uh what what do you do in everything Oh, okay. I should probably have led with that. Yeah. Well, for my benefit. So you can become a load of buildings and yeah. go into a swamp. Okay. And then you can become a turtle. No, so um do you remember there was a game called Nesting? Nesting or Nested? So it was essentially a big file tree of the universe and you would uh click on Seriously? <laughs> Anyone? It's a big concept. This was just like a, a web page, wasn't it? With like, um... Yeah, and you could like, you double click on a file and it would open another sort of bit of the file tree and it would be, you know, you'd, you'd go from solar system down to planet, down mm. to individual like cities and then from there into buildings and into, you know, and it would just keep going down and down and down and down and, and sort of, I think, eventually looped back in on itself. Um, and this feels very much like a 3D manifest station of the same idea and so you you load in as kind of a as a galaxy perhaps and you can move around but when you get near another galaxy you can either like you either press a button that encourages it to kind of swarm with you and little hearts pop out and you're essentially friends and you can like Right. All right. All right. No, it's okay. Keep going. Or you can keep going sort of up or down by one size. Right. And so you can go from that galaxy arrangement and it zooms in and you get to like a, a sun and you get to a set of planets and then you can go in and it's, you are a giant rock and you can roll along the landscape and then you meet a hyena and you become the hyena and they have the amazing movement system where none of them move in well some of them move in a realistic fashion but when it's like the the quadrupeds they just go like 
or it's like <laughs> so rolling rolls. a block along, right? And it just sort of goes in a really uh, jerky kind of adorably enthusiastic but not animated in any traditional sense way and you can gather them all up and then just go like bowling across the uh, across the world and i ended up trooping across like i say into this swamp as a, a set old desert buildings and a sort of stepped so cigarette thing you haven't gathered all of those buildings around you like in Katamari Damacy. You are No, so you can just sort of group up you've, with you've, things you've near become, you of a similar them. size. You've yeah, you can kind of swarm. I see. Isn't there also narration in this game? Isn't there also philosophers talking and messages from the buildings so about how they're feeling and chatting to them, yes, but you can just ignore that and be a turtle. <laughs> I didn't really do much of the chatting because I was very keen to. So, Graham, oh, back up. So you, the, you, really you can go to the entire to universe. The, the lobster waggles so cutely. <laughs> Sorry. You what? can go to a, the whole universe and ask a, a waggly lobster how it feels. Well, no. Sometimes it will just offer to tell you, and then you can oh. listen to it. <laughs> okay, I'm. This is at the show. Yes, it's not a dream. It's in the RPS room, obviously. Okay, okay. I am, yeah, sorry <laughs> for, sorry for. In the left field and in the indie room and stuff, but there's indeed, like, all around room. us. Um, yeah. so, uh, sorry for, you know, interrupting. I was just genuinely thrown by the promise of the magic game that does everything where all things are possible. I'll show you. Okay. Good. Excellent. You were saying about something. I don't know what I was saying about, but also there was vaccination, which have you guys played that? No. Does anyone play that yet? Okay, cool. So it's downstairs in the, um, in the left field collection and it's very much the sort of thing that you might find in the alt control section of GDC because so what you've got is on a computer screen, you've got a kind of scanner rudimentary scanner that will move up and down across a body and you can start to see where different colored blobs might be causing an infection near limbs or you know um basically different body parts and then the other player has a sort of wooden uh, version of a body right in front of them with different points where they can put a little controller shaped like an injector um, and so what you're doing is you're picking up different colored fluids to match the, um, the infection and then injecting them into the, the body at the right point with the person who's manning the scanner telling you how this works. Do you actually inject a thing? No, like, because there then I would have freaked out. <laughs> um, but what it is, is it's, um, it's a series of holes in the thing and you put the, um, the, Syringe. It is the syringe. Mm. But it has, instead of, instead of a, it's just got like a blunt, uh, screw which forms the thing that, that makes the connection with the point that's buried inside the, uh, okay. inside the board. And then it registers which color that you've picked up through that. And then you apply it in the same way to the, the site on the body. So that's really cool. Mm. I think we should do, we should have more. More alt controllers. I think that's the one thing I would say I miss. More alt where? Here. Here. Oh, it shows everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. It's it's interesting because there is a like there are definitely games like uh, alt control at GDC where those games are amazing show games. Like they're 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 fantastic for environment like this because the kind of thing you're not going to see anywhere else. Yeah, it would be perfect. Yeah, and and, you know, and and VR can be used in really interesting ways in that that context as well. But. And, and, and it's a perfectly valid thing to have this whole side of game development, which is about creating one-off 
games for shows, which is a sort of a you think of everything of having to eventually be released in some kind of form that you could play at home and, and all of this definitely can't, well, I guess. But a lot of it you have a thing that you could maybe feasibly play without the custom controller, but the custom controller is a thing that can go to different shows and showcase the game in a very specific or different way. Right. And sort of augment the experience that way. Some of them are entirely specific and can't be played another way, but you know, there are other Mm. Other ways of doing things. Like last year, there was the coffin game, if any of you were here last year. I can't remember what it was called, but you got inside a coffin and someone was trying to find where you had been buried alive by yep. communicating <laughs> with you from outside. The did, did you have the confidence to play this game? Oh, yeah, I was in the coffin. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not. Although, right, so the problem that I found was they were like, oh, yeah, and you'll probably feel quite claustrophobic. I was like, mate, I've got loads of room. It's brilliant. I could make a snow angel in here. <laughs> so I was just quite chill. I was having a nice time. It was quite airy. What were you doing doing the coffin? Like, if the others were trying to find where you were buried, what, what was your role in there? Let me try and remember, because I mostly remember that it was quite cosy and quiet. Did you go to sleep? I wanted to. <laughs> um, but, so I think, if I remember rightly, the person outside had the uh, just the regular computer display and was just moving around in a regular fashion for the world. But, but I inside had uh, a VR headset on and could sort of hear where whether they sounded like they were near and things like that. So uh, that wouldn't would that work if you were buried alive? Well, it was in a in a crypt. Oh, like I wasn't just in the ground. in the ground. Mm. I was in so. a tomb. I was entombed. In, okay, I see. In some kind interred. of interred. No, I wasn't interred. That's the. Is that not the same thing? Let's not split that. Here. Well, no, I wasn't buried. <laughs> That's the. I was right. I was trapped in a in a in a coffin, but in a in more of the sarcophagus mold of oh, I see. Doing things. Okay. I was going to say an ossuary, but that's different. In uh, uh, anyway. Okay. I, I see what you mean. So you're, you're listening to the ambient sound, trying to figure out where I think your so. friends are. I so, wrote an article about it. Well, it's all if, in it was, there. if it was just ambient sound, why did you have a VR headset on? Why not just no, headphones? Let's not be quizzing me on things that happened a year ago. <laughs> all right, all right. Just yeah, the, pic, the image of being a inside a coffin a wearing a VR headset is just very strange. We put it on the website. Well, you, you, can, you can kind of do either or in that scenario. You can either just wear the, the VR headset or be in an actual coffin. Mm. Doubling mm. down is. I mean, yeah. one way of doing it. Redundant. Yeah. Mm. Um, what have you been playing, Chris? So I, I got to the show I, about three hours ago. So I've, I've run around and played two things where I've had time to sit down and actually uh, get to grips with the game. The first thing I played and the only thing I finished a full sort of session of was Wargroove. I don't know if anyone played Wargroove. Um, it is a lot like Advanced Wars, if you ever played that on, on the Game Boy. The Game Boy strategy game. Turn-based strategy about... Sort of resource management and um, moving units around on a grid to capture towns and cut off lines of advance and trap important units and and while also managing the kind of rock paper scissors counters between you know little wizardy skeletons and men and harpies and caravans. Those are the four units I immediately remember. Uh, I'm really, really, really bad at it, like staggeringly bad at it. Um, like, do you need some help, sir? Bad at it. And, um, but one of the reasons for this is that, uh, one of the units it allows you to build, um, immediately with your starting flow of cash. 
and it has a very, it has a, a it's, it's been published by, or assisted by Stockfish, who made, um, uh, the, not Star, I keep saying Stardew Valley, I don't mean that. I mean, well, Star, they, I think they published Stardew Valley, didn't they? They did publish Stardew Valley. Yeah, so that was Oof. almost, that was close. All right. Um, um they, they developed Starbound? Starbound. That's yes. the one I was trying to think of. I was going to say Star Sailor. That's yeah. a band from a <laughs> long a band. time ago. Starbound. I bought their <laughs> album. Um, <laughs> so it, it has a, a super kind of cute, cartoony pixel art style um and the first unit is like men like warriors or something and then the second unit is doggos and it's a little band of um armored corgis oh i know (laughs) and um and they cost 150 gold pieces the next one up is like spearmen then up from that is a caravan and then up from that is alchemists um which is like sort of the order of of, of life, I believe. Um, but I stopped resolutely at doggos. I had no interest. It was sort of, it was partly like, well, I'm for one session of this before I move on to so the next person can play and get like 50 gold a turn, 100 gold a turn if you've captured a couple of villages. I could save up for alchemists, but I don't need ranged attacks. I'm going to win this with dogs because I'm sure that they've tuned the difficulty of this res show floor demo appropriately that you can't lose really it's just there to have a fun time and get to grips with this broad strategic top layer so you know what we find I'll, I'll win this game using only dogs i lost very very badly for dogs because uh dogs have no answer to harpies <laughs> they just don't they uh they're very good against skeletons i found if they get the drop on a skeleton that's a good time uh, well, they are good versus bones. You exactly, see. yeah. There's, there's, and they're so cute. Yeah. Uh, they're okay versus an alchemist. They don't like an alchemist, really. Um, they get lightninged, which isn't nice. <laughs> but uh, you know, I had a good time surging these waves, waves through the forest. I would load up a dog in a caravan, send it across the map, deploy it, try and get it to take a town. They're also not very good at sieging entrenched positions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I found they, they against a, a fortified. Um, fortress. They again have no answers. Um, but they're, they're nice. They, um, the, they, they have a counterpart on the undead faction who are the villains in the demo or player two if, if you're playing multiplayer. Uh, they're sort of, you know, robot, not ro- robot? Skeleton. I got my game nouns mixed up. Um, <laughs> dogs with like skull heads that I was sad about killing, but I was glad that they were the enemy dogs because I didn't feel too bad relative to the armored battle corgis. Um, what ultimately happened is I, I charged all my units forward in this kind of like, well, one glorious, we're in, we're out, we're going for it kind of way, and um, didn't realize that you have a general unit who's powerful and can heal your other units, And but if she dies, the game is over. Um, that is one of the rules of the game, it turns out. And um, and she got trapped on a bridge with harpies on the side. She couldn't move past the harpies, which I felt was a little bit unfair because nothing else can hit the harpies because the harpies are flying. So it seems like the harpies selectively decide when they are impassable or not but mm. they're definitely as i keep saying uh immune to dog in almost all forms so i had a little line of dogs on a drawbridge waiting to try and help but they weren't helping in fact they were in the way um and then my general got killed and then the game was over but as someone who did like advanced wars despite being apparently totally incapable um it has i think a lot of promise is that kind of game it's, it's nice to have it's an example of what you're saying earlier about the game that reminded you of zelda there are these brilliant core designs from other platforms in some cases and other parts of the history of, of, you know, doing strategy games. 
There's a little bit of fire emblem in it as well, I think, in the way that units match up against each other and the way the positioning is important and the way you set yourself up for success in subsequent turns. And, yeah, it looks super sweet and kind of, you know, that experience of managing this complex economic game of 3D rock, paper, scissors. It seems this is a thing that's on PC, right? Yes, yeah, 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 I played it with a mouse. It, it's all designed to be controlled with a mouse as well, so it's not, there are no keybinds, remember, it's really nice and straightforward and... I did, I did genuinely like it. I wouldn't really, wouldn't take my inability to wrangle success out of the game. Well, actually, I would take the fact that you can't just build dogs until you win as a success for the game. At a strategic mm. level, if not at a personal level. Um, so that was good. Maybe you didn't wield the dogs correctly. Maybe there's, there's I, still hope for I, dogs. I did literally just build the dog, click the dog, click the furthest point away from the dog that was closest to the enemy, and then... I mean, sometimes you could set up like a multi-dog squadron convergence. It's <laughs> not a phrase I've used before. And then, um, and that was, that would, that would have, there seems to be a lot of waiting. Like, it's interesting, like the matchups, you, the, the damage is very analog. It's not like, uh, you have taken three dogs out of a possible four dogs worth of damage. It's like, there's a bar and it, it, you don't really know, you don't see the numbers of the combat really. You just know the matchup and you see like a percentage. I was confused, I think. Um, but, you, when you go into the attack, there are factors like being the aggressor, obviously, that gives you a huge advantage, but that seems to depend on the matchups. So the dogs really like being on, on the attack. There's, there's an adorable animation of them sort of, I was going to say thundering forward, but I don't think a corgi can thunder. Like, just sort of bimbling, like power bimbling, um, <laughs> into, into battle, uh, which I found very gratifying. It, it, it communicates a lot with simple animations as well. Like, if two things aren't particularly well matched, they, they sort of stop as the, the two units meet, and then there's a kind of nice kind of... It's more obvious that the combat's going to be be close. So in that way, despite knowing nothing and remaining in many ways clueless, I actually was taught a lot of the matchups just by the game itself rather than needing to like read a bunch of tooltips to know that spearmen beat caravan, caravans or dogs, alchemists beat dogs, which which is a, is a that's a toss-up. That That's just down to the initiative and the will to survive. Uh, the... <laughs> The other game that I played, and I admit would only play for, I only played for 15, 20 minutes, and for the type of game it is, this is, that's, that's insufficient, um, was Signal from Tolva, which is Jim's yeah. game. Yeah, uh, speaking of being on brand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm gonna talk about the game made by the man who works for the website that you work for. He found, founded, founded the website founded, you work for. Uh, I liked it. He'll be relieved to hear. Um, so, Signal from Tolva is uh, by Big Robot, the people who made uh, Sir, You Are Being Hunted. And it is in the same vein in that, uh, I, I, think, um, I think it was Marsh on a recent episode described uh, Jim's love for Stalker as being him being spoogy for factions, I believe this is the word. That, um, which, to break, to, to, to um, unpack that means that uh, I know Jim has an enthusiasm for open world shooters that have a lot of dynamic AI where nothing is is there by accident, not a constructed experience with a scripted series of encounters, but a world you are dropped into in the manner of Stalker where you kind of pick your own path with a mixture of combat and resource gathering and, and also the manipulation of AI factions in order to achieve your particular aim. And so based on that first couple of minutes with Tolva, which basically was enough for me to kind of get into it, do a little bit of running around, upgrade myself a few times and get in a couple of fights and sort of see what the, I guess the units of the game are, like the ways you might divide up your your time in it. The things I liked about it, one, are that it is a shooter, that it is a return to being a shooter. Stalker, as much as it was 
a prototypical survival game in some ways. Like, you know, the subsequent survival genre maybe owes some things to Stalker. Um, it was also a shooter. It was also, you also had a, a, quite a lot of power and you could express that power just by being good at shooting. And I like that. And I didn't realize how much I'd missed that from, uh, I think I missed that in Surrey being hunted actually. Like, it's much more of a stealth game. Yeah, it's more of a stealth game. But I think in a survival context, that often means it's a game about inventory management and running. Mm. Um, to an extent. Like obviously you, uh, higher difficulty levels and depending on, in that case, randomly generated maps, you might play it, you know, have entirely the perfect experience where every encounter is, is, um, atmospheric and dramatic. Whereas combat is just a reliably fun thing in a video game and everyone understands that. And so, um, having these sort of chunky sci-fi weapons that fire quite slow projectiles, which I'm a fan of generally because I like leading targets and things like that. I was all, like, I was quickly having a good time kind of managing like this shield you have to deploy and firing a rail gun at a little bibbly robot that, you know, I will do that in any context. That was fun. And then so that I think has promise for just sort of maintaining that engagement in, in the otherwise kind of like unguided experience of, of doing it yourself. Um, the other thing I liked about it was that the setup, which has you, and I imagine we talked about this in the pod before, but that has you beam into the brain of a, a robot that you control until it dies and you beam into a different robot but you're there to kind of manipulate all of the robots that are just doing their own thing on this planet to achieve your own ends and I think that's a kind of a perfect way to position the player in a game like that because it explicitly may, means that your job is to be not a dick but kind of a dick to all of the different robot factions mm. whereas any game that has a more substantially like you know human centric fiction where Stalker is a good example where you have like you know, this faction are trying and this faction is assholes. And like, and that is how it breaks down. Then it's hard, you know, you might feel pressured by plot concerns or other things to weigh your allegiance in a particular way. Whereas in this, it's more like, no, you are, you are the asshole and you've come down from space to get your own way. And that will mean siding with who you need to side with and doing what you need to do. So that was only 20 minutes, but it was good. Would you have called it signal from space arsenal? I was going to, I would have, I would have called it singles from Tolva. Which is how I misspelled it once. <laughs> it was a very different game. A lot more like that game you described earlier. I'll put it that way. Never mind. Um, let's do questions, questions. From questions. Questions from there. Yes. Weird. We have a spare microphone, but I don't know if it's on. Hello. It's not, is it? Sounds yes. Great. That was the first question. <laughs> so uh, the best way to do this is probably going to be... Also, for your information, guys who are here in the room right now, um, we actually have basically until they kick us out, So um, which, will, which will be sick. So it's not loads of time, but it means we don't, have to, we don't have to rush through questions over 20 minutes and then there's drinks after. So hey. Do you want to... Shall we put that on the first row of benches? Yeah. Oh, Alec. Alec. Alec Mayer, everybody. <laughs> Could you, um... Our lovely assistant, Alec Mir. <laughs> my my uh, first question is how you justify working on your creator-owned product uh, project during RPS working out. <laughs> is this RPS working out? Um, well, he's freelance. Blame me, Alec. Is the one um, leaving aside whether espionage is better or worse than spaceships, um, why why do you think it is uh, so rare as a um, theme in games because other than the you know, very very few games like uh, the only ones I can think of is Alpha Protocol and um, the Sid Meier's Covert Action and like obviously sort of some tacked on mechanics in Civ games 
um, it seems like a, an obvious choice for like a, a sort of uh, management kind of sim or something like that, and yet it just doesn't really seem to have... I think it's the same thing, is the same reason why you don't get very many detective games or police games, is that a, a game struggle uh, with human beings and with ambiguity. You know, when you've got a, a like, a, a gun is a binary thing, you shoot a guy, he's dead or he's not, but if you're, if you're interrogating someone, if you're doing the kind of things that a spy does, which is trying to find pieces of information, then that's, I think, a much harder thing to do. I think you're right that it lends itself well to management games. Like, I think you could make a great, um, Crusader King style game, which was about spies rather than medieval royalty, which is kind of what Sigma Theory is, but there's never been that many of those games. Um, and I think it, it has to be quite robust as a simulation when you're, when you're dealing with, uh, so much information, so many people in order to make it actually interesting. Cause otherwise the alternative is that you've got to go down a, a linear route and you end up with something like LA Noir, which, you know, could just as easily have been spies rather than policemen, but, yeah. yeah. I think as well games struggle with reveals in that way because a lot of the satisfaction of things like just to take a long running drama example spooks there was a lot of sort of twists and turns by finding out that people were double agents or that something had been happening behind the scenes that was only revealed to the viewer maybe in retrospect and so there's a lot of sort of not really having a good way to figure out how to do that to a player character unless maybe i mean you can do it a little bit in um multiplayer stuff if you assign roles beforehand and you know people don't necessarily know who's working against you sit in board games with things like battlestar galactica um but i do think that if it's just you and you know that you're a double agent the satisfaction of the <gasps> halfway through is that gets punctured far too easily mm. it's there's so many things involved in spy fiction that are enormously, as Graham says, human, human and analog. Like it's all about intent and kind of people's sort of conflicted allegiances to themselves or to a nation, the politics of it. And that's why I think it's so complicated that when games do go there, they tend to go there. Like most of the recent spy games you, I can think of have a cyberpunk. Either like I can think of games that go for either the cyberpunk direction, like Invisible Ink, which is sort of about spies. Kind of. Murder yeah. spies. Um, but, or they go in the sort of 60s spy fiction kind of explicit, sort of quite abstract kind of James Bondy sort of fashion. Um, I don't know if you would include the Clancy games in this at all. Like, it feels like there's something like Spencer Sells a stealth game. It's not a spy yeah, game. I think it's technically kind of a, spy. a spy, but it's not, it doesn't feel yeah. like a spy game, does it? It's like James Bond makes a good model for a game spy mm. because because he punches people and shoots people. And drives a car. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, basically. But like, um, and you know, I think Alpha Protocol got quite close to this. I think if Alpha Protocol wasn't so wonky in so many ways, it would almost be a kind of proof that you can do a bit of spy fiction because it does have double crosses. It does have mid-game reveals. It suffers for the fact that, you know, as a piece of spy fiction, the main guy can't have anything be revealed about him. He just has to remain Mike for the entire game. And... Sorry, yeah. which game are we talking Alpha about? Alpha Protocol. Okay, because I Mike thought that you were Orton. still on James Bond and we're no. calling him Mike. Remains Mike. <laughs> okay. You know the, the famous the famous line Mike 
No, that's fine. James I, just, Mike. I thought I'd double check that I hadn't missed some crucial reveal about the new Bond or something. No, I suppose that's true that James Bond never reveals his double, you know, double agent Double O seven. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what I'm talking about. Shall we do the next question? Yeah. yeah. Where's that going to come <laughs> that from? That was vaguely an answer. <laughs> put your hands up slash grab the microphone slash there's no system. There's, put your hands up. It's probably the best system. Yes. Okay, well, staying vaguely on the topic of 60s and spy stuff, I have a really big soft spot for Evil Genius, that game that came out hmm. in like 2004 or five, which was the reverse where you were managing the, the lair of an Evil Genius and trying to take over the world with a Doomsday device. Now, that's been kind of on ice for over a decade now, but if somebody were to make a remake or a sequel or something, which studio would you like to see doing that sort of really charming management game? in a Dungeon Keeper-esque style. We've got Machiavellan downstairs in the in the RPS room, which is where you play a um, uh, as somebody who is managing essentially like a, a, a house, a mansion, and trying to make it spooky and awful and, you know, uh, trying to, I guess, use horror tropes to your advantage to progress through the game. It's been a while since I played a build of it. Um, so that was, we put it in there because it sounded really interesting. Um, I don't think that necessarily answers the question quite, but I think it's, yeah, it's kind of a thing that is existing. From a studio. edges. I think Clay could do a really good job of that. Mm. I mean, they, they haven't made a bad game really, which helps, but they're the people who made Invisible Ink and that's, I think an easy temp, like, I, I can imagine them making a real, like, that was them taking on a sort of XCOM formula. They've done stealth as well. But I think they've got the kind of, the art style and the design sensibility that they could make a really good go of. Um, they're making it a management game at the moment. They're doing Oxygen Not Included. Mm. Oh yeah, exactly. Which is currently out in alpha. Which is like, um, you're building, uh, a base for yourself in an asteroid, trying to manage the different gases that are floating around to make sure that you don't, Suffocate uh, in a kind of, kind of dwarf fortressy sort of way, um, but I was going to say introversion. Introversion is what oh, yeah. I have about it because obviously they've got management game pedigree and prison architect. But I think the reason that Evil Genius and stuff like Dungeon Keeper work particularly well was well was its sense of humor. I think introversion, though they haven't done it in every game, uh, are good at evoking that sort of '90s British sense of humor where it's 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 funny when people die. Yeah. The, the spirit of like Lionhead and mm. and Bullfrog before that. Bullfrog and, and yeah, I can see that. Cool. Should we take the next question, gentleman at the front here? Can I just say that I want Peter Molyneux to do a new? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um, you talked about everything earlier, which has been penned as this sort of consciousness simulator. I think as a tagline underneath it. It's mm. got this wonderful trailer with Alan Watts, this '60s philosopher, and it's all. It, it reminds me of some of those. You know, maybe some of the old, old PlayStation games like Journey and stuff like that, where they're really mm. trying to uh, evoke this sort of like big philosophical message. But I feel like sometimes those games are kind of almost preaching to the converted in a way, and they don't get maybe quite the audience that they want to. Um, uh, and maybe do you, my question is basically: Do you think that there are some games you guys have played, usually on PC, of course, um, that you feel like that are more accessible, that kind of maybe try and uh, evoke that kind of philosophical, like a deeper philosophical message. That do they, do they get that through that across? 
Something that I would say about everything is that it has released already, I think, on PS4, and it is, and I think that that will probably do a lot to put it in front of people who maybe wouldn't necessarily seek it out if it was just maybe living on itch or something on PC. Um, and I think the other thing is there's so much odd and delightful about it that you can put in a trailer. So I think that things like that will help that particular game and you wouldn't necessarily have to engage with the text side of things. You could just sort of tit around as a baby turtle for EG. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of other games that maybe sort of do, do that on a, I think, for me, it's the sort of thing where it can sneak up on somebody in a variety of different ways. So it might just be that you've played a particular game or maybe even a management sim or something completely um, off the off what you would maybe consider as a philosophy game. Um, but it might just be that it hits you at a particular point in your day or your life or your way of thinking about things and you, you are encouraged to maybe have a, a revelation of sorts or a moment where you are actually just uh, a bit more aware of just a particular way of being. And I know that that sounds really flimflammy, but I think that these things can sort of sneak up on you. It can just be when you're doing the washing up or, you know. um, There's an interesting kind of phenomenon with... So lots of games got big audiences. The the good games, the games like Braid, back in the first generation of Xbox Live Arcade, which to go off piece a little bit, back when when sort of the idea of downloading an indie game onto your console was, was new... And that was a new way of getting games for people. There was a way those games, I think, picked picked up a, a big audience. Not, I mean, Braid is a good game, but it's also was in the right place at the right time to get a certain head of steam with people. Just because it's it's something you can play, it doesn't cost as much as the games. The whole lower price point of those games on console was a novelty to some degree. And you know, it's not about necessarily about the whether or not you think Braid itself is is philosophically deep or not. Although it does have ideas that it wants to express. But simply by being in the right place at the right time with a, a puzzle game, puzzle platformer game that's fun, creates a vehicle for getting those ideas in front of people who I don't think would have necessarily were all else equal gravitated towards that kind of game. And I think that spirit it probably is maintained in things like Limbo and most recently Inside. Like Inside is ultimately a game about I don't want to spoil it, but it's a game about bodies and what it you know, and it doesn't has no words in it, but it's about your self and your consciousness and you know the the unpleasant experience of having that played with and um i think it will reach people because it looks striking and i think even though it says pc game podcast up there i think it's significant when these games have a presence on those console download services because i think that just brings them to more people who are particularly given the nature of the question is how do you get a message, like a headier message from a game to an audience that will not actively seek out games with messages like that and maybe the cop-out answer is make sure it's on the PlayStation Network. But I think there is something to, you know, making some sort of grabby-looking, accessible game and then putting it in the right marketplace so that you don't have to go find it necessarily. But that's, yeah. Yeah, I don't have a, a good answer to the question because I can't think of a of a game. But I, I would say that the, that braid thing has also led to some tripe as well there are a lot of sure. games which are heavy with metaphor and lead with metaphor in the trailers about how they're they're about an exploration of, of grief and then and then 
you actually play it and it's it's an, boing, it's a metaphor it's for jumping between Metroid, platforms yeah. and yeah yeah uh, yeah I and mean, yes i mean i'm not i'm not advocating that like the only way to get a message across in a game is to have a, a, a small sad man run sideways like there's more to break than that but you know there are i, I think maybe the imitate people maybe imitated the wrong parts of the process of that game and, and to some extent maybe Braid was a good platformer game that got away with its philosophical stuff because that stuff was a novelty at the time when it was released. It's maybe Passage more than Braid because it's exp- explicitly trying to use game mechanics as a metaphor which yeah. I, I find great. Anyway. Right. And, and Passage was literally a, a man walking to the right. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, the other side of this is things like um, uh, well, Bioshock, right? Like, it's, it's, it's thinking about it like a lot of this stuff so many things have been written about that game and so many things, you know, arguably too many, maybe. Who knows? Um, but, like, you go back, you know, how many years is that now? 2007? Shit. Ten. Ten, ten years. Fuck. <laughs> you go back ten years to, you know, the first Bioshock and that, you know, for the people who cared about that kind of thing, that was a resurrection of System Shock and, and you know, whatever, you get people in for that. For a lot of people, it was just an interesting-looking shooter, which was... Different to a lot of the things coming out at the time, and buried in it is a is a message, is is a set of ideas, and I think again that has become a little bit trite. Bioshock, you know, subsequently other games did the like a man reads um, a philosophy book to you while you shoot a crazy mask murderer. The genre has ballooned since the original Bioshock, but nonetheless, that that was a way of surprising people with that kind of idea, I guess, and more people paid attention to it as a consequence. Bolt it to a shooter is what I'm saying. <laughs> Shall we answer another question? Chaps. Uh, chap at the back-ish, middle section there. Him. <laughs> oh. My uh, I just want to ask, why aren't there more good pirate games? Because I think, I think the only two I can really think of, there's like Black Flag and then going back slightly further is like Sid Meier's Pirates. Why aren't there more opportunities to run around in a frilly shirt and sail? Why aren't there more good pirate games? There's one coming up for Windows 10, isn't there? There's Rare's yeah, game, yeah. That actually does look really good. Sea of Thieves, Sea of Thieves, yeah. Thieves Graham, you're holding a microphone. Uh, I'm, I don't know that my microphone's <laughs> yeah. still on. Is it? Oh, yeah, it is, it is hey. yeah. Hey. <laughs> then, then, never mind. Yeah, Sea of Thieves looks all right, although it does feel a little bit sad that Black Wake came out in Early Access and does a similar thing, although it's not pirates, it's seafaring adventure and um, uh, ship-to-ship combat. Right. Some white horn blower. There are a mm. bunch of games that Mastering do Commander. experiment with with being seafaring in some description as well. You just sort of, if you dig around on itch in odd moments like I do, then it's kind of like you you will find a lot of things where people are just trying to experiment with maybe fluids or maybe with that sounded weird um <laughs> with um with wave effects or with uh, navigation or with you mm. know different ideas and it's maybe a prototype and so you you do find interesting little ex- experiments that, that do that but no i can't think of it's why people aren't stitching that stuff together into a pirate game with modern fluids <laughs> Um, I suppose I, I could, if I was if I was at home and, and there weren't it's like because the video games industry doesn't like piracy. <laughs> oh. oh, hot take <laughs> or joke? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, no. Um, I wanted to drop a mic, but it's not my mic, and even if it was my mic, I wouldn't drop it because these things are expensive. And uh, yeah, so 
And that's why you'll never like, yeah. do the proper mic drop ever. <laughs> You're too respectful of property. <laughs> um, I was going to, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a better answer than what I was going to say. What I was going to say is like maybe just there's just been too many parts of the Caribbean films. And if games lag after films to some degree in terms of what people are interested in at any given time, maybe just people don't like pirates anymore. Well, maybe it's also because some of it is really awkward to do well. Like when you're turning a ship and stuff, sometimes it's just, it's not like turning a car in a kind of satisfying way. There's a lot to it if you get it to feel natural, but then it, it doesn't necessarily work in terms of the actual physics. And so maybe it's too much of a series of trade offs and it's too, too problematic and the, you know, the actual motion is hard and it's maybe a, an actual significant drain on on memory or resources or... <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's just really difficult. Maybe it's Speaking just On behalf well of the games hard. industry, it's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, anybody? Ooh. Oh, we've got several. Um, pick one, John T. Just go to the one you love. Um, okay, so, so like, there aren't enough games about spies or pirates. Yeah. And, like, there are, like, any number of topics that there are, like, too many games about. That's yeah. quite easy. What, what genre of game are there just the right number of games about that thing? Oh. Ooh. Uh, I, I literally just looked over there and saw Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nah. <laughs> um, hmm. There's quite a lot of nice games about you know, wildlife. I, I like how well I'm catered to right now. Are there That's enough that you would like more though, right? Well, I mean, I've, I'd always like more, well, but, exactly. I mean, but I wouldn't have time to then play them or judge them. Hmm. How about hmm. tennis? Well, I was going to say football. I feel yeah. like there are just the right number of football games. I feel like, you know, you need one, one good management game, a couple, uh, two or three good for actual real time play. It's about There's it. no gap there that you you feel like is underserved. No. Did you play? Because I haven't spoken to you since it came out. Did you play the new Did yes. you go on yeah, the journey? Yeah, yeah, I reviewed it. I, I did. I went on the journey. How was that? Uh, it was guff. <laughs> <laughs> it was about what proving, you I guess, expect. that the genre is exactly where What's it needs his to be. Name? Is it like Aiden Spyman? Or it's something? like Alex Aiden Ryder or something like that. Alex. <laughs> it's the Aiden Spyman and Alex Ryder in football. <laughs> It's it's a game about fist bumping. It's like you and cool. your best friend both get promoted through a youth academy at a football club at the same time, and you 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 fist bump in every single cutscene for like the first four or five, and then the turning point in the relationship where your best friend turns out to be an ass. Uh, you go to fist bump him, and he just walks away, <laughs> and like, that's like the dramatic turn for the entire plot. You are making this sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Would watch. I've never cared about a football game until now, apparently. Graham's mic, anyone? It's off. Uh, you can control it. Whoa, God. <laughs> I'm suddenly loud. You can control it uh, just playing as that individual player, uh, just as Alex Ryder, or I think that's his name, rather than controlling the entire team that he's on. Uh, and then you can just be terrible. Like, it's really hard to play FIFA <laughs> as just an individual player on the pitch, especially, especially if you don't be a striker. I chose to be a midfielder. And so in every single match, my ratings were like 5 out of 10, that sort of stuff. But the plot just continues the same as it would do anyway. Like, the plot beats aren't reflective of your actual performance. 
and so you still just like ascend, even <laughs> though you're the worst thing on the pitch and the worst thing about the team. Um, there is there's little bits of like they'll drop you to the bench and that sort of stuff, but still for like big plot important games, suddenly you're back on the team again, and it you know for no particular reason. So I got to go to the FA Cup final. However. Would you say that there is space in the market for, e.g., a footballer's wives-style game where you need to navigate the uh, the pitfalls of success and the off-the-field things? There is that game. It's called New Star Soccer. Um, it's it's a little bit less like that, I think, since it made the switch to mobile, but it originally started on PC, and you control an individual footballer uh, who, again, starts at a, like a kind of non-league club and then makes your way through the career, but then it also includes stuff like paparazzi chasing you down, how you spend your money, you can get involved in, or you used to be able to get involved in stuff like drugs and alcohol and scandal and all that sort of stuff, like controlling your, your off-pitch antics. Uh, and I think there's definitely space for that. Yep. Because I, I, I used to read championship manager fan fiction, which sometimes would just be after-action reports where they would just relate the scores and the fixtures and stuff like that. But oftentimes they would dramatize the lives of their managers and the, the wives of the managers and so on. So somebody that I vaguely knew on a live journal community used to write Liverpool erotica. <laughs> Liverpool football club erotica, so right? So Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool football slash fic. <laughs> so yeah, that was interesting. Okay, that's yeah. a good story. Sorry, that was just I was trying to help by by letting you know you weren't alone. But then I thought maybe I've just accidentally put myself in a worse position, and I should never have taken the microphone. I thought maybe it was like you know Liverpool erotic fiction. It was like a, an everything thing, like the, the saucy encounter with the live building, with other cities, you know, getting into <laughs> philosophical debates. On again, off again relationship with Manchester. Uh-uh. <laughs> I say that as, as, a, as a Liverpoolian citizen, I think it's profoundly strange. Uh, anyway, so we've established football <laughs> is the game that there are enough of. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's segue on to Gary. Hello. Uh, Gary's actually making a game about naval combat. So there you go. There's your pirate. Um, yeah, as much as I'd like to know more about... Uh, Championship manager fan fiction. <laughs> uh, I was wondering um, if there's any games that you guys that everybody loves but just didn't quite resonate for for you. I don't want to go first. Pretty much all of the classics because I was too late for most of them because I was more console when I was growing up. I didn't have a PC that was capable of most of these things or that my brother would stop playing on for long enough to actually try most things. So I was more of a console kid. And so I have tried to go back and play classics just for the sake of having the comparison point, even if I don't have the context and it's just not possible to get the same out of them, I don't think. And so there are just huge patches of, you know, when, when people who I'm colleagues with will go misty-eyed over things, and I'm just like, really? Because <laughs> I was playing Conquer or something at the time. But yeah, so there's a lot of that. And then I'm trying to think, what other... Uh, I don't well, know. Well, like... Oh, I don't really like Skyrim. <laughs> I like Oblivion more than I like Skyrim. <laughs> well, uh, I used to think that... But you have a map of Skyrim on your wall. I like maps. 
Sorry, yes, didn't, I like maps. <laughs> didn't you spend ages modding Skyrim, though? Yeah, Wasn't it just that's why you don't like it? Because you can, couldn't get well, it to look no. perfect. Right, so, I uh, I like Oblivion, and I was kind of hoping that Skyrim would be more of the same, and then they were like, no, we have we have grand ideas. And I was like, but I just want to, to build my herbarium. <laughs> like, what is this? Chasing nun route around. But anyway, um, and so I kind of didn't really enjoy it when I sat down to play it, but then I got super excited to maybe mod it and sort of experience that side of things. But then I got really obsessed with fixing everything with modding so that it was the perfect experience and obviously that only really works if everything that you want to do coincides with something that a modder wants to do and so I have the most beautiful glaciers in the history of everything and then the trees didn't move right in the wind so I stopped playing (laughs) just never went back just can't deal with it anymore don't like it (laughs) (laughs) Graham what what do you inexplicably dislike well, I used to, I don't think it is inexplicable, but I used, Sorry, to, yeah, that I used to think that, uh, like, I could come to, like, if other people liked a game, like, if it was mm. obviously good on some level, that if I just persevered with it, then eventually I would crack through, I would get over the hump, I would learn how to play it, I would learn how to like it. But now that I'm a bit more time-starved, I've decided that it's the game's fault <laughs> when that doesn't happen. And so I've, like... I'm going to pick a fight with Chris, but I've tried to play Mass Effect 1 like three times and every time I get about three hours into it and I just give up and I used to think, ah, I'm sure if I persevere I'll eventually get into it. Um, but really I think if I play three hours of a thing and I'm just a bit bored and I don't enjoy the combat that much and none of the characters have leapt out to me yet, I don't care that they will do later, I think. I think the game is to blame. That's a perfectly reasonable viewpoint and I respect you for holding it. <laughs> 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 I do, genuinely. That's, I mean, that's a perfectly reasonable I, I, response to the first match. What? It's alright. It's alright. Spies are better. What? Spies are better. Spies are, now you've done it. So what, but you, what do you have a- So this is tricky, cause like, um, I'm sort of similar in that I was trying to think, like, it's more of an emotional thing than I think a kind of, I'm trying, I, I couldn't think of a game where it's like, everyone rates this, but I, I see some, um, some flaw with it. Partly because that tends to be like, I don't, enjoy having that feeling if it comes across. Like I always feel like I might be wrong and I'd rather learn why people do get something out of it. The the thing that sticks in, I think sticks in so many people's memories is like a, a phenomenal game that defined lots of people's gaming that I could never get into was Age of Empires 2. I think maybe it's the game that I most firmly bounced off and it's because I it's a little bit like how as a child I was really into Sonic and not Mario. It's because I've got terrible taste and preferred Command and Conquer in every possible iteration because but Command and Conquer was better. So it's not it's the opposite of Sonic and Mario. Really? Yeah. I always thought the Age of Empires 2 was like the thinking. I, I assume this because I assume the thing that I like is dumb. I liked Command and Conquer because it had like a shouty Tim Curry and you know stupid cutscenes and you, dog dogs. It had dogs, dogs in it. Um, there were, there were no good reasons for me to like it, whereas Age of Empires felt like a, uh, a, a, a game that someone who knew what they were talking about might like. Don't be lured by the, the historical setting. Right. I think that's what you're doing is wrong there. Command and Conquer, I think, was a, a I like that strategy. video where a man says, wololo, over and over again. That's good. <laughs> that is a good video. I also never played Age of Empires 2. Right. I played Command and Conquer. Oh, so you're winging it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the one recently as well is The Witcher. I've mentioned this a few times, but like, 
The Witcher, I have no strong feelings about it because I haven't played the second one or the third one, even though it's the type of thing that obviously I should have played, given all the other things I like. But it has become that TV series that everyone tells you about that you will never watch under any circumstances for no reason. I just, I can't, you know what I mean? It's like the, the wire. Yeah. 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 Mad Men for me, right? I've seen most of the first season of Mad Men. I played most of the first Witcher game. I'll die before finishing either of those things. Soon or in the future. Who knows? I don't. But I'll never play The Witcher, apparently. Anyway. Next question. Yes, so yes we have time for one more, John yes, T. So more you're the so, keeper of the question phone. No, uh, no I, I couldn't possibly take this from Okay, hang on. So hands up if you'd like to ask a question. There's two of you. Uh, did you ask a question? No, okay. Um, Let's find out. Is there any way we can combine your two questions? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to cop out here, John. Two, two questions. Right. We'll try. What was your question, sir? Okay. So, um, as an archaeologist, cool. um, <laughs> um, I feel like there's, you know, like if there's, there's, there's games about trains and there's games about almost everything under the sun, but there's no games about archaeologists and I don't count Lara Croft because so that's looting. Okay. So, are there... Indiana but, Jones. Looting. Um... <laughs> Um, there's, so basically, are there any games or are there any professions which you really wish there was a game of, but which there aren't or which there aren't any good ones of? Okay, interesting. All right, so we've got get, uh, point A. So can we get the mic to the chap at the back? Point A is respectful archaeology. Point B is jobs. Okay. And now, part two. My question was just uh, four-player co-op story games. Is this something that has now moved across entirely to the console market and PC games just aren't doing it anymore? Right. Do you think we're in the middle of a big development surge and there'll be a few in a while, or is it just is it always a low-yield thing? For... I, I think it's... Uh, so, the co-op story games. Don't you, I can do this in... We can do this in six minutes. It's yes. fine. All right. Co-op story games. So, co-op story games. I played Monster Prom uh, when I was out at GDC, and I think it doesn't quite work the more people that you have involved, but it is still trying to do, like, an episodic passing the controller thing, and it is on PC, or it's going to be on PC. So it is very much like passing it around, making decisions, telling your own story through visiting locations at a school with, like, a little monstery kind of theme, like there's and Schools is a job. And things like that. And in terms of the uh, archaeology thing, there is Mew, um, Mew Archaeologist, is that what it, I can't Mew remember. Cartographer. Yeah, Mew, Mew Cartographer feels like it maybe treads in that basic direction. And then there's a, again, there's a few things on like uh, Itch.io, which is interesting. But in terms of professions, I mean, I kind of trained to be a librarian librarian for a while and that is a thing that is not really served in any respectful way in most branches of media to be honest so it's like you know you can have sexy librarians and you can have you can have Giles from Buffy and you can have Jenny from Buffy (laughs) she was like she was an information witch wasn't she um But yeah, so librarian would be an interesting one, apart from just, you know, mostly it's just now using Google Foo and telling people where to look for journal articles and things. But yeah. We've got, in terms of, in terms of uh, co-op, um, story, like narrative co-op, I think. Um, yeah, that's, you can play that four player kind. I think so. The other one I was going to mention is the Divinity series. Like, I think that's a really good example of probably the most advanced, like, 
two-player co-op story-based thing that's been for a couple of years, and that's a, a very PC game. It's on console, but it's a, you know, it's an isometric RPG with, with those elements. However, it doesn't feature a real job. Um, also a lot of looting, so not real archaeology. Um, Uncharted, not real archaeology. Uh, does, does it have to be a, a, like a, a real job? Cause like, I, I, I like, um, uh, Valhalla, <laughs> which is a cyber bar- bartending sim. Uh, and so I always, I, I, I would quite like, you know, a game in which I was, the the chef on a spaceship. I know I keep saying that spies are better, but I do also like. Spaceships. You can't be you can't be like a spy chef. So that's not gonna work. No, but if I could be like you know Jet Uh-oh. from Space Cowboy or something like that, that would be cool. Good Thank you. Um, Thank you. So yeah, um, I think no, don't make don't make a game about writing. That's the worst Detective idea. Detective Chef though, that was Pie in the Sky. That is true. Yeah, hmm. we've solved. We should have the all game of these questions. Pie in the Sky. That would be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. Sorry. Um, cool. So, in terms of answering three questions in one question is hard. Well, yeah. the pie in the sky game could be four player co op. You know, one oh, of you, one of you so plays good. the chef, the other one's his assistant that's always getting into to scrapes with the law. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the other characters. Or I think it was play, a florist. Yeah. <laughs> or you play like Morse and Lewis and whoever Lewis's assistant then, then what? Or like so, Midsummer Murders, you could have Barnaby and then Barnaby's weird cousin and like Troy and that other guy who is really annoying and also kind of thick. And then someone was just like, oh, I can't believe that you like knew all of this stuff. And he was like, oh, I really didn't when he was tied up in the basement of the cricket thing. Yeah. Is there a, is there a <laughs> box up on that rafter that says RPS on it? Oh, is that yeah. is that where you live? Drop owl pellets Uh, down um, people from above. But this, I mean, just maybe to you know, Mm. it just occurred to me when you mentioned florist. Please, no one else read anything into this link. It occurred to me that um, I believe on Steam Greenlight this week was Weed Shop Two. Is that about drugs? Yes. Oh, (laughs) I thought maybe it was about like dandelions or something. Okay. No. Is that a good note to maybe stop and go to the pub? Yes. Um, so, uh, we'll do, uh, I'll record a separate outro because we are gonna get kicked out of here. We don't do the song at the end. Forgotten how the song goes. Everybody who's in this room and everyone who's listened, thank you so much for coming out and listening to this podcast. I hope you had fun. Uh, thank you for asking questions. We are going to the... Kick-Ons is the Captain Kid for the RPS. The Captain Kid, the pirate-themed mixer. Uh, for this pirate themed podcast. So yeah, thank you so much. And, uh, I think we would be remiss if we didn't end by saying, Oh, thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) And all together. Thanks for listening indeed, past me. It's me again. I'm back to tell you that if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode, you can do so by emailing us at questions at creatingcrowbar.com. You can also Follow us on Twitter at Creighton Crowbar and hang out on our Discord, the link for which is on the website at CreightonCrowbar.com. If you would like to follow us all as individuals, I'm at C Thurston, that is C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Pip is at Philippa War, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. And Graham is at Gonas, which is G-O-N-N-A-S. Aren't you impressed that I remembered all of that off the top of my head? I know I am. Anyway, bye!